I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the social index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Well, my next guest probably needs really no introduction if you've followed marketing for a number of years. It's Peter Shankman. And the New York Times has called Peter a rock star who knows everything about social media and then some. He's a five-time best-selling author, an entrepreneur, a corporate keynote speaker. Uh, he focuses a lot on customer service and the new and emerging customer new economy, much of which we talk about in this episode. We also talk about Peter's way of thinking and his living with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder at the beginning of the conversation, transition to PR, and then talk about Web3, which is a rabbit hole for those that are technically inclined that you could thank me for later of opening up uh, that you might go down, uh, but includes things that you might know in the news like Bitcoin or Ethereum, cryptocurrencies, but there's so much more to what Web3 is and the revolution that it might ensue or bring forward in the next evolution of web technology. So worth talking about for sure. And I hope you enjoy this conversation with my new friend, Peter Shankman. But before we go to the episode, I have to give a quick shout out to Robert Chodok, who put a Peter and I in touch. Thank you, Robert. Peter, welcome to the show. Good to be here, man. Thanks. We're going to have a lot of fun, I think, today talking about a whole 
host of topics. But before we get into it, how do you describe to other people what you do? So I try not to. Uh, <laughs> no, I have been all over the place since I was born. My mother tells the story of she took me, some psychologist who she worked with at her school when she was a teacher was doing a PhD on, on babies. And they, she took me in and I guess the thing was that he would throw a ball and see how long it would take me to crawl to get it. And apparently it rolled under the couch. And so they were like, oh, he's not going to get that. And they went back to talking and they looked up about 10 minutes later and I had somehow managed to get under this couch that was a lot smaller than me, the space and retrieved. I was stuck there, but I retrieved the ball. So I've, I've been all over the place since, since I was a kid. I guess what I do is I like to help. I believe in people. I believe in companies and I believe in the ability to be better. And I believe that everyone and everything has the ability to be just slightly better. And where the bar is in our world, I don't need you to be anything more than just slightly better. On a personal note, you talk about your mom taking you to a psychologist at an early, at an early age. You've also talked about your ADHD as a superpower. And one, how do you think about it as a superpower? So for me, I was diagnosed when I was, uh, God, how, how old was I? I don't even know how old I was, like 35, I guess, 36. Prior to that, growing up, ADHD for me didn't exist. What existed was uh, sit down, you're disrupting the class. Right. And looking back at it now, obviously I was the class clown. I was making jokes. I was interrupting because I was on that constant search, on the constant quest for dopamine. That's, we all know that now. And, and the irony was that dopamine helped me focus. I was actually trying to focus so I could learn, but unfortunately it, it didn't come out that way at the time. When I was finally diagnosed, I realized that all these things that I'd been doing all my life, all the things I put into play, all the things I'd somehow managed to make work for me were actually benefits. I would start a company from an idea I had. I'd come up with an idea. I'd say, yeah, I should make a company out of this. And 24 hours later, I had a, a living, breathing company. Most people don't do that. So for me, it was really about when I learned how my brain worked and learned how to control it and use it for good, as it were, the whole world opened up to me. I stopped caring what other people thought. And I just focused on doing what worked best for me and, and worked best for the world and how I could help meet myself and other people. And that was my wake-up call. I appreciate you sharing this story and just continuing to be an advocate of people that are suffering with ADHD. My my dad had bipolar disorder and my sister has ADHD. I, at times, I think in college, probably had some mild ADD, uh, maybe without the hyperactivity piece. But it's a struggle, I think, for people to find their path. And to your point, like, how do I harness it for good? It's a struggle for several reasons, because... The majority of the way, at least the way I grew up, not from my parents so much, but from teachers and from society, was be like everyone else and stop being different and just sit there and learn and do what everyone else is. Why can't you just be like everyone else? And when your brain doesn't work that way, what they're essentially telling you is your way is wrong, right? And so you grow up 18 years of hearing that your way is wrong and it, pardon, pardon my French, kind of fucks you up when you realize that it's not a question of right or wrong. It's a question of what works best for each individual. And you're able to start applying that. A lot of things change. And I, I think the fact that as a society, we're starting to open up about mental health and talk about it more is probably, you know, when we look back, when historians look back on us 100 years from now, they're gonna have a lot of really unanswered questions. But I think one of the positives is going to be they finally accepted that mental health is just as important as physical health. And it is something that needs to be talked about, not swept under the rug. And the fact that we talk about it now is, is such a great thing. And that's why I run the podcast. I run faster than normal, where we talk, we've had over 200 interviews where we've explained to people that, hey, this is not a curse, right? This is a gift. You just have to understand how to use it. And that's what we want to talk about. So that's one of the, one of the things I'm very fortunate that I get to do. 
if you had you know any advice to give other people that are living with ADHD, what would you want them to know? I think the first thing I'd say is you're not broken. And if you're surrounding yourself by people that are telling you you're broken, you need to change that conversation immediately. And you need to remove those people who are telling you you're broken because you're not, right? You, you are different. Different does not mean broken. I think that's the first thing, first and foremost thing. And secondly, understand yourself. Spend time learning about yourself and what makes you work the best. Makes sense. Let's pivot away from mental health and we'll talk a little bit about marketing, PR, and a bunch of other interesting future-oriented things. Let's start with PR. You've had a successful PR firm builds and exits, including the infamous Harrow or Help a Reporter Out email service that you sold to Focus. Curious, one, what your thoughts on PR? Is PR the only constant marketing awareness tactic? Nothing's only. I learned very early. I had a, had a great professor in college who said that the secret to surviving multiple choice tests is to understand that if you ever see the word, any, any ever see any kind of word that's an absolute, as in only or ever or anything like that, it's not that answer. Because the chances of something being absolute or only in that regard, like when it comes to English or literature or whatever, it's usually pretty rare. Public relations or the ability to get media attention and grow your brand in a positive light stems from anything. PR is simply an arrow in the bigger quiver that is communications and marketing. It is a very important arrow, but it's still just an arrow. The same way social media is just an arrow. The same way advertising is just an arrow. The key, the people who win are the people who understand how to use your quiver wisely and save your arrows for when you need them and use the right arrow at the right time. The reason that public relations is so hard to do effectively is because it's so easy to do poorly. In other words, with today's technology, anyone can email any reporter in the world and send them anything they want. And that's a problem because 99.9% .9 of pitches that reporters get are completely off topic or completely horrible or completely self-serving, and they don't help the reporter do their job. And the fact of the matter is that your job as a, any kind of publicist is not to help your company or help your brand. It's to help the journalists do their job better. You help the journalists do their job better, and you will get press by default. And I think that's one of the things I learned when I launched Help Reporter Out was, was I just, I talked to everyone. That's, again, ADHD, right? If you're sitting in a plane next to me, unless you fake your death, <laughs> I don't know everything about you by the time we land. Yeah. And that, I, I didn't say that I'd talk to you. I'd, I'd listen. No one listens enough. So I'd listen. I'd learn all these things. But you know, I have a massive role in this. Thousands upon thousands of people. I organize it very well. And reporters would call me. Peter, I'm doing a story on blah, blah, blah. Who do you know? Oh, yeah, call this guy. I sat next to him on a plane going to Singapore a couple of years ago. He does this. <laughs> <laughs> and that led to the birth of Harrow. But, and the reason that Harrow became successful was because at this point, when I reached out to the reporter and said, hey, I'm doing this thing, it was, and it might help you. It wasn't, I'm doing this thing, cover it. It was, I'm doing this thing that might make your life easier, make your job easier. Reporters in general, or bloggers, whoever, are being asked to do so much more with so much less. Anyone who, who understands that and, and gives them the information they need in a way that benefits both parties is always going to win. So I think there's still a huge role that public relations can play. I think the problem is that not enough publicists or marketing people take the time to understand how to best utilize that role. I think that makes a lot of sense. And you've had a lot of success with PR yourself or earned media yourself. I have. But again, and granted, some of them, I, I, my first book was called Can We Do That? Outrageous PR Stunts That Work and Why Your Company Needs Them. And it was the premise that PR stunt for the sake of a PR stunt is pointless. But a PR stunt that benefits and that actually drives news. And so, again, that's where you want to come to. That's what you want to learn. And that's what you want to, uh, that's where you want people to see what you're doing. 
do you think the fundamentals are still the same today in today's media landscape or has anything changed in your mind? Fundamentals will never go away. Know your reporter, know what you're pitching, know what the reporter covers. Don't waste their time. Give them information that will help them. That's been, this, that's been there since the dawn of time. The, again, the problem now is that it's so much easier to reach reporters that people don't respect sort of those unwritten rules. And they're not unwritten. I've written them a couple of million times. <laughs> people don't listen. And so, and so at the end of the day, I know that if I'm going to pitch a reporter, chances are they're going to listen to me because I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I've done my homework. I know who they are. I know what they're about. And I know exactly how to give them exactly what information they want, exactly the right way and exactly the right it's helpful to get your thoughts. Having built a service to help reporters out <laughs> makes sense. That would be the main way to get your name out there, to get them to write about you or to use whatever information you have that's going to help them in their stories, et cetera. Well, and again, think about it. If you, I'm trying to think of an analogy of this. If you have a next door neighbor and he's really handy with tools, if you walk up and say, can you help me build like a, a shed for my backyard? <laughs> You do all the work because you're really good at this. I'll just sit here. Right. <laughs> Probably not going to help you, but say, hey, can you help me build a shed and let's make it a little bigger so you can store some of your stuff in it as well and we can you know, use it together. Now it's beneficial, right? Now it's exactly what people want. It makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. PR is, it, it feels like still today in the marketing world in particular, there's so many marketing organizations and CMOs that don't even have responsibility for communications or public relations, which is, uh, you're lacking one of those arrows in your quiver, so to speak. And then the second part is even if they do, I think they tend to try to treat it like a channel versus what you're saying, which is you actually have to spend time in that channel, understanding what is going to make it go and what you can do to help the channel, not just give them your talking points and move on. But again, it's that way in life. No one believes how great you are if the only thing they hear is you telling them that. But if you are able to What's the story I tell you? If I'm in a, I'm in a bar and I see someone across the bar and I go up to them and say, "You don't know me, but I'm awesome." <laughs> they're going to throw the drink in my face and go right back to talking to their best friend. I know I've done a lot of research on this. That's exactly <laughs> what they're going to do. But if I'm sitting there just on my phone playing solitaire or whatever, and the person's best friend says, "Oh God, that's Peter Shankman. I, I know him. <laughs> I've heard him speak. He, you know what? You're a single mom. He's a single dad. You, you both have dogs. I'm gonna let me bring him over. You should meet him." At the very least, I'm going to have a nice conversation because I come from a trusted source and there's usefulness there. So what does that tell us? It's so easy to understand. It's the premise that what can we do to be useful, to be helpful? And how can we do that in such a way that it benefits all parties? It's great advice for PR, but it's great advice for life. <laughs> be helpful. You oh, know, right? totally, right? Let's face it. Let's face it. There's really no difference. Life is what we do. Life is how we live. That's great. That's great. Let's talk, let's switch topics and talk about the future. I have gone down since our last conversation. I've gone down the rabbit hole of Web three, looking at blockchain, crypto, NFTs. You really sent me in a spiral. I, I feel like the more I learn, so I originally started with the notion of okay, I understand Bitcoin, but I didn't understand. Once you go beyond just the currency application of it and you get to the blockchain level and then you start thinking about the computing power that's there, the ability to build decentralized organizations and governance systems, it just goes on and on in terms of the applications 
but also it becomes very abstract at some point and I have a hard time thinking about what should I take away from all this? So I'm hoping you can help me figure out what I, at least for now, how should I be thinking about the world of blockchain? I think one of the ways to look at it is to understand that everything in the world is about everything. So what does that mean? Nothing exists really in a vacuum. You have to look at the overarching reasons that stuff exists, right? Blockchain doesn't exist for cryptocurrency. That's one reason. Blockchain exists because there's going to be an amazing future in which the power of the blockchain and the power of decentralized computing and things like that really does power the next level of where we're going. Now, is that all good? No. Is that all bad? Absolutely not. I was having an argument yesterday with someone who told me that he doesn't understand why I've invested a decent amount of money into something called Vive, which is an NFT platform run by Marvel, a digital collectibles platform run by Marvel and, and Disney. And he's just, you're throwing your money away. I'm like, that's a really short-sighted view because you might think I am, but on the flip side, I, I've done several of these things that have blown up. And several of these NFTs that I've purchased are like worth three, four times the price now. So you have to ask yourself, you never want to shut anything off, but you want to go into everything smartly. You want to look at everything you've done and everything you're doing and say, where is this? So what do I see in the world of blockchain, the world of, of, of crypto? I, I do believe that pretty soon we are going to be able to pay for things, next few years, pay for things with our phone through different cryptocurrencies, regardless of what they are, right? When I put down my Amex card to pay for dinner, it doesn't matter that it's an Amex card or a MasterCard or a Visa because the restaurant accepts all of them. And what happens is either way, the restaurant's going to get paid, the restaurant's going to get cash. Whether I'm paying for my soda at 7-Eleven through my phone in a couple of years, whether I'm paying through Ethereum or Bitcoin or my personal favorite currently, Shankcoin, <laughs> which is a real thing, and currently trading around $10 a coin, it doesn't matter. The network's simply going to understand what the vendor wants and make the appropriate adjustments. So is that beneficial? Absolutely. Are there people running incredibly silly ideas right now up the flagpole and somehow getting funded for it? Absolutely as well. And those will die out. The same way during the dot-com boom in 99, 98, 99, 2000, 2001, we saw things like virtual cemeteries for pets getting like $15 million in venture funding. Absolutely no logical reason. So there's always some hype around new things. And a lot of times that hype is not worthy and those things will die off. But do I believe in Web3 and Web4? Absolutely. What it's going to be able to do for us um, as a society. And again, I'm not talking about Zuckerberg's meta. <laughs> I, I don't, unfortunately, I no longer believe that anything that comes out of Facebook or meta is going to be beneficial to society. I simply don't believe that anymore. But I do believe that there are ways that we can use what's coming through Web3, Web4 to change how we interact, change how we work with people. COVID, as, as horrible of the past two years as it has been for so many people and for as many people as we've lost, it has vastly accelerated what we do as a society in several different ways and add that to the metaverse. And I think that some benefits will come out of that. I, do you remember 1993, there was a series of advertisements, advertisements on TV for AT&T. And for some reason, they were all voiced by Tom Selleck. But the ads were things like, have you ever sent a fax from the beach? You will. And the company that will bring it to you, AT&T, go look them up. It's amazing. It's called the Have You Ever Ads by, by, by AT&T. And it actually also started, one of them started a very young, pre-famed Jenna Elfman, of all things. But the cool thing about these ads is that half of them came true. Half of them were wildly off base. Like it showed a guy driving. And as he approached a toll, he swiped his credit card on a through a credit card slot in his car. <laughs> yeah, no. Okay, so you think texting and driving is bad? Try to swipe your car as you're going 75 miles an hour and through a two-inch toll booth. But 
a lot of them were right. GPS was right. Buying concert tickets through your phone was right. Talking your kid, talking your kid in from 10,000 miles away video wise was right. And so I looked at those commercials and I, I saw a future that was in a lot of ways very exciting. We're not sending faxes from the beach, but we're working from the beach. We're sending emails and we're texting. Uh, we're sending pictures. We're doing TikToks from the beach. And it's more about looking at the overall scope of what we see things coming. Not necessarily, oh, this coin, that coin, this money, that money. The concept of where we're going to be. A lot of the work I do for companies is as a futurist where I'm paid to think 20, 30, 40, 50 years in the future. And I truly believe that within the next 50 years, there is going to be a dad who is going to surprise the hell and surprise and delight the hell out of his nine-year-old by giving him a virtual, interactive, secret, rare Spider-Man that the kid can use in augmented reality and virtual reality and walk down the street with his Spider-Man and his Spider-Man will protect him in the metaverse. And I think that there are very good things to come out of that. And as long as we continue to understand our humanness, because when technology works the right way, it greatly increases our humanness and it can actually make us a better society. So am I excited about this? Yes. What has to happen is that the humanness has to override sort of the Zuckerberg ideas of the metaverse of the world. And if we can do that, I think it's going to put us more in line with the future that was outlined in the movie Demolition Man versus the future that was outlined in uh, Johnny Mnemonic. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. You are the only person I've ever talked to that has his own coin. You know, shank shank coin. <laughs> I will make you a deal. I will set up a drop for your listeners where I will give out. Two, let's say 250, I'll, I'll give coins out to the first 250 people who click the link when your episode goes live. I'll send you the link. And um, they'll be able to grab a piece of shank coin. And again, I'm not a financial guy. I'm not, this is not financial advice. I bought a Segway. That should tell you how much I know about financial <laughs> advice. But I do know this. There is, for me, the value in, I'm not so much talking about Bitcoin. Or I'm talking about the concept of the creator economy, which is that anyone who creates content earns the privilege of having an audience every single day. I don't have the right to an audience. I earn the privilege every single day of my audience by giving them quality content. If I screw that up, and if I don't, if I start making poor content, they're going to go away. And a coin, for me, is a great way to continually measure, take the temperature of my audience. If, my, if the value of my coin goes up, that means more people are buying it, which means that the content I'm putting out and the stuff I'm producing is good and people like it. If people start selling my coin off by the thousands and I start losing subscribers it tells me it's bad and I need to readjust. So for me, that's a huge win. And that's where I really believe that the power of these creator coins comes into play. Taking it a step further, if you remember back in the 70s and 80s, I remember being a president of the New York City Knight Rider fan club. Okay. I'm really just, I'm really just sharing a lot of stuff here that I probably don't need to share. But <laughs> what that mean? That meant that every year 
when the first episode was about to air, I'd get a package in the mail with, you know, some schematics of the all new design kit. And let me tell you something, I'd go to school the next day, man, I was the <laughs> shit. I was just awesome. I probably wasn't. I was probably a complete dork, but in my mind, I was awesome. But that was the fan club. I had a right to them. They had to write me back. And then if you were the, if you were the head of the Menudo fan club or whatever, maybe you'd get backstage passes, right? right? Whatever. That fast forwards to today. What if someone, maybe you own a thousand Taylor Swift points, right? Tell me one nine-year-old girl. My daughter is all about Taylor. Tell me one kid who wouldn't want to be able to go and trade Taylor Swift coins with her friends or get Taylor. I, I give my daughter, if she does all her chores once a month, I give her a thousand Roblox bucks every month. She's, and now to her, that's worth more than actual currency because she has a connection to Roblox. She doesn't understand, Jessa, how much does a pair of shorts cost? $100. How much does a house cost? $100. She doesn't know that. But she understands that 100 Robux can buy her the tools she needs to make this house or to buy this Ferrari to drive down the street in her little made-up world, her digital world. And so she understands the quality of that. So imagine when celebrities have their own coins. And I believe it's going to happen very soon, like very, very soon. Imagine when a celebrity has, mom, if we start with 500 coins now, and by the way, they can rise in value. I, this Christmas, a lot of my friends are getting NFTs, Disney NFTs, like real, not some random guy who uploads <laughs> his NFT, but like a Spider-Man or like a, a comic book or whatever. They might rise in value. If I give you a first edition Batman or whatever, that's going to rise in value because there's only a limited number of them. So the question becomes, where do I see this going? I see a world where the opportunities are endless, right? And if my daughter understands the value of Roblox bucks, that is a phenomenal lesson for her to learn. In a way, it's teaching financial money matters, right? <laughs> Through virtual currency. It's fascinating to me just what this whole world opens up, right? From a content creator. I'm a small-time content creator with a podcast, right? Like, I can't wait to the day when there is a podcast app that everyone is using that is in some way running on the blockchain because I'll have better access to information. Hopefully it opens up new ways in which I can monetize the podcast in the future. And it's an, at the end of the day, it's an asset that we can trace and have trust in, if you will. Anyway, it, it, it's fascinating to me, just the various applications, what people are experimenting with. And to your point, nothing that we're talking about is financial advice. And I think as you go a little, like most people, I think, start into this like crypto blockchain world, thinking about the the currency component, the Bitcoins, et cetera. And then as you go deeper, the thing that's really exciting to me is this notion that if I you know, built an application using Ethereum or on top of Ethereum, essentially that application could live indefinitely, like forever, without me needing to do anything to it, which does not exist in the software world today. Somebody has to maintain that thing, host it, power it, whatever it is. But there's this whole world out there, if you will, literally, that just continues to perpetuate itself if you create. And that's really what I love about it is, again, there's just so many things that you can do and so many ways that you can understand your audience, create the things. you. So what are those things that you're trying to create? And if you are focused on doing them the right way, again, with your audience in mind first, you have tremendous ability to win. The fact of the matter is that the majority of people in the world do not do even the bare minimum. Think about, God, think about the last time you went to a, went to a flight. Think about how terrible that flight was. And you, and you look at, why was the flight terrible? Because we expect it to be terrible. Yeah, that's very cool. Very cool. You have this knack for figuring out the future and 
you're advising companies and organizations now on on the future. Like, what's your process? How do you think about what could be next? A lot of people, a lot of people, and look, I'm not anything special at all. But I think that a lot of people spend a lot of time listening to other people talk wait, only to so they can wait for them to stop talking so they can start talking again. Yeah. I've been with those people before. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, when I get on the plane, my ADHD has me naturally curious. So I'm going to start listening to anything you have to say. And the beauty of that is that as I'm listening to you, I'm learning. I'm learning about you. I'm learning what you need, what you need help with. And that allows me to be able to say, hey, I remember that you were doing this thing. Can I help you do this? Or I have this connection of whatever. And who does that? Not enough people do that. And it's incredibly simple. I think for me, the key, if you could figure out a way to put out 10 times the amount of help into the universe that you ask for. So every time you ask for help, make sure it's, you've already put out 10 times into the universe. That's really all you're doing. But enough people don't do that. So is it that I'm seeing the future or am I just listening to people because they feel comfortable enough to talk around me? It's interesting. Do you feel like it's this accumulation, if you will, of listening hours <laughs> that allows you to connect the dots? I think it's listening, but then also making smart decisions and smart choices. One of the things about my ADHD has allowed me that it, is that everything I do, I look at as a learning experience, good or bad. And so I've been able to figure out, okay, here's what I'm, here's what works, here's what doesn't, and then I can adjust accordingly. And so you put those two things together. Anyone who calls themselves a marketer who is not a good listener shouldn't be a marketer. Yes. I really believe that because if you, if all you're doing is spewing and not learning, what kind of advice are you giving? What kind of advice are you giving your clients? What kind of advice are you giving your audience? What kind of advice are you giving anyone if you're not constantly scanning and taking into account the reason that electric cars, the reason that cars like that are that have such a low accident rate is because they can monitor every single sensory input around them billions of times better than humans can. So they're constantly scanning the road in front of them, the road 20 feet in front of them, the weather, the air temperature, how much tread is on the tire, how the tire interacts with the road. Is there rain? Is there not? Is there going to be rain? They're doing all these things billions of times a second. Why? So they can make the most informed and intelligent decisions about the drive in real time. That's essentially what AI driving is. And so we could learn from that in the respect that if we want to give information to our clients and not slam them into the side of an oncoming freight train, we need to be listening about everything that's going on in the world, professionally, personally, and not in such a damn hurry to talk all the time. The more input we... Remember the movie Short Circuit in the 80s with Johnny Five? Oh, yeah. He was constantly running around screaming, input, he learned <laughs> everything he touched, he learned about. And the premise was true. The more input he got, the smarter the robot became. We can take a lesson from that. As marketers, as any sort of communicators, as any sort of professionals, the best thing we can do is shut up more than we talk. The concept of listening is, is just a trait that's really, for some reason, been very elusive to marketers. And I think we could all learn from so much from just reading, listening, whatever, however we get information, but doing it 25% more than we currently do. And, and the easiest way to find that time, to reclaim that time to do it is just to be quiet. I'm going to try something new. I've only tried this one other time so far. Let's do a little lightning round and I'll throw out a short topic, probably some in some way marketing landscape oriented. And then you say, is it hot or not? And maybe a short rationale, if you will. Okay. So influencers. Not hot 
replace the word influencers with the word content creators. If you're creating quality content, you're influencing by default. Social media. Still hot. It still obviously has a place in our world. I don't think anyone could have imagined 10 years ago, the seventh level, seventh circle of hell we would have dived into <laughs> from it. But there is still tremendous benefit in it. If you know where to look, the key is ignoring 99.9% of it. On the short aside, it really has illuminated human behavior, hasn't it? It's illuminated. That's a great way to put it, actually. It's illuminated. It hasn't changed anything. We're still, we were, we were the same idiots 30 years ago that we are <laughs> exactly. now. But 30 years ago, you had to be an idiot with a pen, paper, and a postage stamp. It's a lot easier to be an idiot now when all you have to do is click something. It reminds me of those like really ancient psychology experiments where they would put people in lab coats and allow them to shock somebody in the room next door. And people just kept turning up the dial because they didn't, they weren't in the same room and they were, and someone was telling them to turn the dial. And it's very similar, I think, in in some respects. So anyway, I, I do, I still value social media though myself. I get value out of it. Oh, no question about it. I, I read it, I, but I've also put limits onto what I check and when I check to make sure that I am controlling my sensory input. It's not controlling me. Okay. Next one. Streaming services. Still very hot. Not everything in the world needs a streaming service. I think there are way too many. And you can make the argument that, oh, if conglomerate, conglomeration, if they all get into one, it'll, they'll control everything. Yeah, but on the flip side, I don't need 14 different subscriptions so my daughter can watch 14 different things. The joke last year was that the, most, the three most expensive streaming services were, because everything was remote school, the three most expensive streaming services were Netflix at $14.99 a month, Hulu at $12.99 a month, and my daughter's private school at $54,000 a year. Because that's essentially all she was doing. <laughs> she was on a, a, a live stream for, for eight hours a day. But I think that streaming is beneficial. I think that I love the fact that HBO uh, was HBO and was HBO Plus. Who, who went to like basically movies the day they released yes. also on, online. Yeah, yeah. That was brilliant, right? And it scared the shit out of Hollywood, but good. Good. The fact of the matter is that one of the nice things COVID also did was that it re reaffirmed my belief of how much I hate people. Most people anyway. And so I don't need to be in a movie theater where everyone's screaming their heads off. If I could have a nice TV, I could sit up here in my apartment and, and watch the movie in peace. And, and I think it's wonderful. And again, it's streaming services I'll listen to their audiences and give things the way their audience wants. And that's what we want to create. How about ad tech? I like ad tech. Every year there's ad week. And ad week is fine. Remember when they started social media week? I used to, I was quoted once and I don't remember where the journal or something for saying social media doesn't need a week. It needs a swift kick in the ass. But I think the concept of ad tech is, is brilliant. I have a ton of really close friends who are in the ad tech world and they're smart as hell. Again, the problem with ad tech, the problem with anything like that is when you start folding too many things into it that don't necessarily belong there. But I, I, I believe that technology continues to benefit mankind. And there will always be people in marketing and advertising and, and, and whatever aspect who have, who have good hearts and who have good morals and who will guide that shit the right way. Last one, maybe related in some respects to ad tech, is privacy. Privacy died 30 years ago. I think that if you still believe that you have any shred of it, I will take, your, I will take you seriously if you do not own a smartphone, if you don't have a car with GPS and, and readability, I will take you seriously if you do not have a credit card. Every time I see someone talk about how the COVID vaccine is going to be tracking them and they're posting it from their phone, seal dies. First of all, everyone complaining about how the microchip is tracking them or everyone complaining about how they have no privacy is not important enough by any stretch of the imagination to be tracked. Right. I look at privacy this way. I lock my door when I get home because I live in New York City. I don't want someone walking into my apartment. But I also know... I rarely put down my shades. I live on the 56th floor of an apartment in Manhattan. I rarely put down my shades because my logic is if I'm walking around my apartment naked and someone is using high-power binoculars and sees into my apartment and sees me walking around the apartment naked, they're not going to look again. <laughs>
And that's the, I take that same take on privacy. (laughs) I'm not going to deliberately go out of my way and walk down the street naked, (laughs) but I don't really believe that Amazon knowing that I'm talking to you right now or Alexa or or whatever, knowing that Google home is here, knowing that I'm talking to you right now is going to in, in any real measurable way, negatively affect my life. I'm curious before we, there's a series of questions I'm going to ask at the end. We ask everyone, but before I do that, you have any advice for CMOs, chief marketing officers? At the end of the day, it's not about the please tell us how we did surveys. It's about actually interacting with your audience. And that will never change. Very, very loyal flyer to United Airlines. And they do very well by me. They do very right by me because I'm one of their most frequent flyers. And for several years, once I became that status that's their most frequent flyer, they would start sending me an email after every flight. Tell us how we did. It was a bunch of one through 10, 10 equals the best, whatever type questions. But the last question was always an open text box. Tell us what you can do on your next flight to make it even better. I started a little, I started sending back every single email I fill out the form. And my last on the little open text box would be, on my next flight, please refer to me as Peter, Lord of the Skies. <laughs> I never expected them to do that. But I looked up one day and it's two years later, 274 flights and 274 emails in a row with that same response. I never heard from them. I would have, I never said them to do that, but I would have loved a phone call. Hi, Peter. Yeah, this is United. I'm one of their heads of marketing. Asshole, stop. We're never going to do that. That would have been perfect, but I never heard from them. And then one day I'm giving this speech at, uh, I'm giving a speech at, at a travel conference I think in Florida or something. And I mentioned this because here's the thing. I mentioned this and, and, and I get back to the airport. I get to Fort Lauderdale to go home and I walk, I get, scan my ticket and I start walking down the jetway and they say, can you come back here for a second? I'm like, uh, yeah, what's up? They're like, sir, are you uh, Peter Lord of the Sky? <laughs> Someone heard me give the speech to the conference and, and they changed it in the record. But here's the thing. It shouldn't have taken 274 emails in a row. And to their, to their credit, they have improved, right? This is about four or five years ago. They have improved. But the reason it shouldn't take 274 emails in a row, because if they're not listening and they say they're listening for everything else, and I'm one of their best customers, then everything else they do is just slightly disingenuous. What happens if I do have three bad flights in a row? Three bad international, I miss my miss three international connections in a row because of them. And I, I, if I tweet that, you don't think American Airlines follows me? You don't think Delta follows me? You don't think British Airways follows me? You don't think they would jump at a chance to get a top tier United guy to switch over to them? They would, in a heartbeat, an American would tweet me back in three seconds. Said, Mr. Shankman, hi, we're happy to match your status. Tell us what you need. We'll give you a concierge key. We have, uh, we'll, we'll give you a car to the airport. We have drugs, whatever, whatever, whatever it would be. So it's just, again, listen a little better. And if you give a customer or client space to tell you what's up, for God's sake, embrace that and respond. Switching gears. My favorite question to ask everyone who comes on this show is maybe a personal reflection question, but curious if there's been experience of your past that defines or makes up who you are today. There's been countless experiences that make everything we do makes up who we are. I'm a licensed skydiver. I have close to 500 jumps. And my very first jump in my training was obviously the scariest moment of my life. And landing and seeing how that, seeing how my entire outlook on life shifted at that moment from if I can survive that and I could do that and, and, and getting that rush was definitely because I realized I am just, I could go sit down and write 10,000 words right now. And turns out that was one of the first, one of my first introductions to ADHD. Why am I so high right now from that skydive? What did that do for me? Oh, wow. It produces dopamine. Okay. Got to figure out what that means. And I think if I had to pick another one, it would probably be just getting bullied in school as a kid. Because again, I learned from it and learned how to adapt and learned what I could do to prevent that from happening. And that probably led to where I am right now. What advice would you give your younger self if you're starting this journey all over again? I think I would tell him, first of all, I wouldn't change a thing because everything good or bad has brought me to this place in my life and I like where I am right now. So you can't hate where you are. 
if you can't hate what you went through, if you like where you are. So that's super important. But I think what I'd tell my younger self is that I, I would have loved to have learned to shut up a little earlier in life. It might've saved me some grief, but then overall, just understand that you're right where you're supposed to be and, and life does get better. And yeah, it's pretty weird right now. You're 16 years old, you're going to high school performing arts and you're really talented, but you have no friends because you can't learn to shut up and you just so, you have the social acuity of a turnip, but keep fighting. It's going to get better. And it did. Is there a topic you think marketers should be learning more about right now? Never go wrong learning more about empathy, but I think that the concept of, again, the concept of Web3 and where we're going on it. I always think back to my first job out of school. I worked for America Online and was, was learned a ton about the internet and where we were going, but I learned a lot about customer experience. And so I'm very, very fortunate that I was able to do that. So the concept of looking towards what, looking toward where the future is, towards where we're going, figure out what got you there and never dismiss anything. Because I remember when I left AOL, people were like, oh, AOL's here and it's gonna be everything we got. And so we should put $50 million contracts into AOL. And this was like 97 and that didn't go very well. Understand where the future, where the movement is, but also what's just a pipe. Last two questions. Are there any brands, companies, or causes you follow you think other people should take notice of? So I have been training for the Ironman World Championships in Kona, which for the past two years has been canceled because of COVID. The only way to get in there is to be really fast and win another Ironman. And that's obviously not something I'm ever going to do. The other way to get in is to raise a lot of money for a charity you care about. And I raised over $150,000 for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society because I've lost a couple people in my life to cancer, to blood cancer. So I'm a huge fan of that. I'm a huge fan of Best Friends Animal Society. I believe that puppies aren't products. Cats aren't commodities. You should adopt, not shop. And so we have so many homeless pets in the world that no one ever has to buy an animal again and, and that we will never run out if, if we just keep adopting. So that's the key. So yeah, anything like that. And then of course, public education. I'm a, I'm a public education kid all my life. So I'm a huge fan of that. In terms of brands that are doing really well, just read the news. They're, they're all, there are so many of them. The, my personal favorites currently, I think that there are several airlines. I, I love the airlines that are looking towards the future. I say United again, even though I'm loyal to them. They put real money, real millions of dollars down on deposits for drones, for helicopters, for supersonics. I, I'm, I'm so psyched for the future. It's just gonna be awesome stuff coming down the pike. Last question, what do you feel is the largest opportunity or threat that faces marketers today? Not seeing fast enough what's coming down the pike, both positive and negative. People, shows, whatever, things don't just get canceled on a spur of a moment. There has to be some goodwill or bad will that's been created. Already. The quicker you can get in front of things before they become things that are cancelable, the better off you are for creating this. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with support from my team and podcast editors, sound engineers, and writers at Share Your Genius. Find them at shareyourgenius.com. If you're new to marketing today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe on marketingtodaypodcast.com and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners. You can contact me on marketingtodaypodcast.com. There, you will also find complete show notes, links to what was discussed in the episode today, and you can search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 